Welcome to Skyline SIB's podcast. We're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in, and we hope that this message encourages and inspires you in whatever season you're going through. God bless you all. It's just great to be back here again, you know. Uh, Pastor Nancy and I have been away for the last three weeks, and so uh, when we were coming in on the plane yesterday, uh, it was just an awesome, awesome sight just to see the beautiful, wonderful city of Kota Kinabalu, you know, the best city in the whole world. Amen. I tell you one thing, we saw Gaia Island, we saw, you know, Pacific Sutra as we came into land at the airport. And, you know, this wonderful feeling of just like, we're coming home again. And part of the reason is because you wonderful people are here and you make such a great difference to us. We love you all. What a great family that we have here. And this is why we do church, because it is an exciting, wonderful family God has birthed us into. Come on, somebody, you excited about this family? Give God a big shout, give God a big shout, amen, amen. And uh, just great to be back here uh, this morning. This morning, earlier on the, the first service, we had, uh, we had uh, to pray for a couple that was going to get married. And you know, one of the things uh, we really enjoy about this church is to see many young people falling in love, getting married, and you know, becoming partners for life. You know, so this is a great church uh, where great things happen. Uh, and you know, right now, I know love is in the air. Uh, the Spirit of God is moving powerfully. God's love is also in the air. So if you're here in this church, you're in the right place because something good is going to happen to your life. Can somebody say an amen to that? Turn to your neighbor before we start this morning and say something's good is going to happen in your life. Amen. Amen. And those of you who are watching online, I just want to uh, welcome you to, uh, to us, whether you're watching us, uh, you know, from another city, uh, from another country, you're very much part and parcel of this great family of Skyline. And even if you're in this city, uh, you know, you're part and parcel of this family. We hope you will come back soon, as we'll soon hear. This is part and parcel of what I want to say to us this morning. Uh, we continue our series on the invasive kingdom. Somebody say invasive kingdom. And that is part and parcel of our workplace series, how we can bring God's kingdom into the workplace. And if you've missed uh, reading the book that I, I wrote a few months ago that came out earlier part of this year called The Invasive Kingdom, try to pick it up at a help desk on the way out. We've not had uh, a copy and uh, pick it up, or you can pick it up at Canaan Land. Uh, and those of you who are watching this on, online somewhere, else in another city, if you don't have Canaan land, then you can write in into our website and we will send you uh, a copy. It's for sale through our website as well. Okay, so uh, just remember that uh, it will be a book that will really bless you to help you to engage and go into the workplace and bring God's kingdom into the workplace. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Okay, let me just start with the year 701 BC when uh, the siege of Assyria took place and uh, King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, surrounded Hezekiah and the people of God in the city of Jerusalem. You can really read about this incredible siege. It almost reads like a fast-moving novel uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 2 Kings 18 to 19, and Isaiah 36. And in this time where the, the enemies surrounded the city, the people were in complete lockdown. They were locked in, unable to get out of the city, unable to work, earn a living, travel, and they were just surrounded by fear because the future was totally uncertain. What was facing them was almost certain death because the Assyrian army had devastated every and any uh, kingdom and people before them. And now they had arrived at the gates of Jerusalem. And how long did this siege last? It lasted two and a half years, historians tell us. And so, you know, in many ways, it bears resemblance to what we have gone through in the world. The COVID pandemic, an enemy not seen like the Assyrians, but nevertheless equally lethal, has locked us in for the last two and a half years. And when this lockdown was lifted in Jerusalem, the people of God who had turned to God during the time of the crisis for two and a half years, looking for God to, to save them and to keep them alive and looking for God for, to God for salvation of the city. Once the lockdown lifted, because God delivered the city in a supernatural, miraculous way. Once the lockdown lifted, the economy soared, just like what it's doing today. And the people began to cheer. That's like what's happening today. And then something happened to their mindset. Whereas in the past, 
They looked to God and they were fixed on Him for deliverance. Once deliverance came and the economy soared, they forgot God. And a mindset developed where they began to turn to other things. And we read this in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 25. In the state of the heart or the state of the mindset of their king, which represented the state of the people and their mindsets. Hezekiah's heart became proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Just like what the pandemic has done in the world today, it has also affected the people of God. And a mindset change has come upon both the church and the people in the workplace. So as we continue our Invasive Kingdom series today, uh, my message is entitled, The Post-Pandemic Mindset at Church and Work. Is it a friend or is it a foe? And I want to take you through to what mindset changes have begun to take place in both the church and in the workplace and what the Word of God is saying to us about this today. Firstly, in the church, there are three major mindset changes that's occurring in the church. And they got everything to do, not so much with relativity, but the relativization of three major things are in the mindsets of the people of God. The first thing is that Sunday is now relative. There has been a relativization of Sunday and all that it represents. Before the, work, before the pandemic took place, uh, Sunday was absolute. If a family was sitting down for a meal on a Friday night, there was absolutely no, no other thought in their hearts that on Sunday, they were all going to go to church. But suddenly, after two years of uh, watching online services and having the option of just staying away, Sunday, in many mindsets now, have become increasingly relativized. So it's not uncommon for a family to be sitting down on a meal on a Friday night and for someone to say, you know, Papa, we've not gone to Kudat you know, for a long time. Or, you know, we're not going to Kinabalu Park for a long time. Or if they're in West Malaysia, but they're not going to Fraser's Hill or Port Dixon or Malacca for a long time. You know what? Why, why, why don't we go this weekend? And suddenly, that discussion can take place. And they're like, you know, yeah, I think it's a good idea because we can always watch church, you know, sometime later in the week online. And so Sunday has become relativized and then the family takes off for, for the weekend. Or they may have a discussion and say, you know what, this Sunday, you know, on the, in the morning, there is, there is a, a big promotion of the newest model of Tesla car. And it, it's in Imago Mall or some other mall or, or some other event takes place. And you know what, that suddenly becomes more important than Sunday service. And Sunday has been relativized. And many, many combinations of this take place. Whether a family event takes place or whether somebody comes and visits you from another city and you've got to take time off, Sunday now is no longer absolute. Now, when we understand this, we need to just go back and understand what's happening to the church today. How important is Sunday uh, to the church? Now, we know that the Sunday has been the day of worship for the church since 2,000 years ago. Ever since Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday morning, which is the first day of the week, okay? Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday morning. You hear, you hear about it in the Gospels? On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, you know, went to the tomb together with the other Marys. You, you, it's in the Gospels, okay? Just so, so that you recognize and understand this. The first day of the week is not Monday. It is Sunday, okay? It's always been, it still is today, except the whole world is secularized now. So they, they put the first day of the week on your calendars on a Monday. But actually, the, if you go back to traditional calendars, the first day of the week is Sunday. It still is today, except that it's been secularized to Monday. So how important is Sunday? In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we read this. This is how the early church worshipped Sunday. On the first day of the week, which is Sunday, as we gathered to break bread, Paul began talking to them. This was in the church meeting together in the city called Troas, and they were meeting together at night. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul wrote to them and said, On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. Why the first day of every week? That's because the church came together on the first day of every week, and it's easy to put aside money to save, for what? Paul was going to come later so that he can take a collection from them then, take the money and send it to the poor in both Antioch and Jerusalem so that no collections be made when I come. So that's the reason why they collected the money on the first day of the week. 
So from the year zero at the beginning of the church, the church has met on Sunday. But in this time of the pandemic, something has happened to Sunday. It's become increasingly relativized. In other words, options are now introduced and inserted into Sunday, which never was in the mindset of people before. Before, it was just absolute. We go to church on Sunday. Now, other options have been introduced in. But, you know, many people say, what's so magical about Sunday? The point is that it's not, it's, Sunday is not magical in the sense that it is the only day God will appear. It's nothing like that at all, okay? Because we know, even in our own country, the church, the church, the Malaysian church, worships on other days. In significant Muslim-majority states like Kelantan, Terengganu, Johor, Kedah, and so on, the church meets on Fridays or Saturdays. So we know it's not about the day per se, but it is, what is it about then? It is about the one agreed day of the week that God's family meets together that is now being compromised and optionalized. That's what's happening right now. And this is, this is incredible because the one agreed day of the week uh, in KK, in Skyline, in the city, in the state, is Sunday. That's, this, is, this is the day. The, the church meets. But now, because of the pandemic, which has introduced options, it has become optionalized. And what's happened is that people now say this. I can worship any day, pray any time, have my devotion with God. Actually, during the pandemic, my spiritual life is okay. I'm still okay. I'm not backsliding. I'm growing now. You know what? God is everywhere, any day, any time. There's no need to anything special on Sunday because it's become relative. This may be true, personally, but it's not true corporately. We all forget that we were saved into a family. You know, we are not, when we are, when we are born again of God, we are not just saved to be a child of God. We are saved to be a child of God within God's family. Somebody say amen. amen. That's why the, the Bible calls us the body of Christ. You may be a thumb or a toe or a hand or a foot or an ear or nose, but you're part of the body with Jesus as the head. So the body now, therefore, has an agreed day on which the family meets. And that is Sunday. Or if you're in Kalantan, Trigano, it could be a Friday, it could be a Saturday. But that's the agreed day the church agrees uh, to meet. And why is this agreed day so important? Because when we come together on that agreed day, that agreed day is a place and time where we express ourselves. We identify ourselves. We corporately come to encourage ourselves, bear one another's burden, build up one another, have a clear sense of corporate stakeholding ownership in what this family is all about. And we chart together as God's family. Somebody say amen to that. And you have that in your own families as well. Many of you, you're living in the same city with your parents. And you have other siblings in the same city. And there, usually in Chinese tradition, in Asian traditions, there's usually a day where a whole family comes back and eat together. Sometimes it's on a Friday night, sometimes it's uh, on, on a Sunday night or whatever. But you know, that, that's the time we come together. It's an agreed family time. Have you, have you, you all know what I mean? You're with me? Yeah? That's an agreed family time. Now, it's true, your parents are available to you at any time. You can go on a Monday, you can go on a Wednesday, any time. But when a family meets together on a Sunday night, it's different. Somebody say Amen. Where you meet with each other, encourage and, you know, exchange stories with each other. And you're a member of the Chan family or the Lim family or the Tan family or the Maloyos family or whatever. That time you identify, it bonds you. It gives you a corporate identity, gives you a corporate vision, encourages you, burden bears. That today has been relativized because of the pandemic. So I just want to encourage you and just say, that's the first thing. That's the first mindset. It's slipped in now. And I may be preaching to the converted here because those of you who are with me here physically, you may have, you, you may under, you understand this. But you know what? Somewhere in the recesses of our mind, you know, there are options. We're thinking options. Because you know, at the drop of a hat, maybe if there are other options available, we might just squirrel away another Sunday or three or four Sundays, you know, in a month. It, it's easy to do that because there's a relativization of Sundays. Here's the second thing. Online service is now relative. Not just Sunday is relative, but online service is relative. And it's a mindset thing now. It's what's happening in the pandemic. 
it's slowly creeping in. Many people say to me, Pastor, don't worry about me. I watch Skyline online. You know, I'm following you online. I know what's happening. So when, when time is right, I'll come back, you know, and I'd say, great, you know, thank you for watching online. And those of you who are watching online, I continue to affirm you. You're part and parcel of this family. But I lovingly want to speak to all of us, not just those who are here, but those who are online as well. But when we say that we follow the church online, what actually is not spoken uh, is this. What's sometimes not spoken is even more significant than what's spoken. Sometimes they don't tell you actually what they mean is that when they follow online, they watch, you, they watch online service on a Tuesday night. Okay? And uh, they watch online service midweek. And uh, in that midweek of watching online service, it depends who is preaching on their online service. Everyone has their favorite preacher. Yes or not? Many people follow preachers. It's just, it's just, I have my favorite preachers, you know. I probably won't cross the road to listen to myself preach, but you know, I, I have my other favorite preachers. I, I do. So sometimes you turn on midweek and you say, oh, this preacher, no lah, 15 minutes, and then, okay, I'll just shut off. That's one of the things that happens midweek. And you know, and when we watch midweek, often we don't hear the announcements. We don't, we don't join in corporately in the worship of the church. We're not, no longer stakeholding in the church. We don't know the corporate atmosphere, the corporate identity, the corporate f- atmosphere. We don't. Because we don't watch the... We just fast forward if the worship is there. Or in the case of Skyline, we, we cut out and edit out our worship so that we just... Even if it was there, we fast forward anyway and, and just watch the sermon. So we don't feel the corporate atmosphere and identity of church. At the same time, we don't have the announcement, so we don't know the direction of the church. We don't know what's important, priorities, what are the events, what God is saying, why are we doing what we're doing at this stage? We don't. We just want to get our 20 cents worth of our sermons for ourselves. We're living right now in that sphere. And pastors, some people say to us, we watch, you, we watch Skyline live. But if you're anything like me, and if anything like human behavior that I know, unless you're really a, a really fantastic, incredible, unique human being, you will probably switch channels even as you're watching live. You'll probably switch channels. You're probably not switching, you know, as you watch live, you're watching like, you know, oh, it's come with worship. This worship song, I don't particularly like. I just switch on to Elevation Church. I like that worship song. I probably switch on to SIBKL. I like that, that, that worship for the time. Or I come to a sermon, you know, and you know, he's a bit long-winded. I switch on to another sermon somewhere else. You know, and some people are so good at doing this and multitasking, they actually have multiple devices on at the same time. And so they flow between so many sermons. We watch live. We use multiple devices. We switch channels. So imagine, imagine what happens that we go a little bit here, a little bit there, everywhere. And that constitutes even our live Sunday. It's like dim sum. It's like doing dim sum, dim sum church. And every week we eat dim sum, you know. Every week we eat dim sum. I can tell you, if you eat dim sum every week, you become very unhealthy. Physically, because the most of what's in Tim Sum is MSG, salt, and fat. The, the fattest bits of meat, which nobody can see, they put in your char siu pao and your, your siu mai and your heart. You know, they, they put it there. And so you, you will become obese. Your blood pressure will go up. You know, you will probably have you know, all kinds of diseases. You cannot switch channels and use multiple devices. So when that happens, a mindset culture not comes into the church. Sunday service is now a personal, multi-choice, on-demand spiritual Netflix. Except that you don't pay for it. And that's what's happening uh, to, to, to the online church right now. Now, these are options. These are things that creeping into the mindset of the church, not just in Skyline, but globally. Globally. So I lovingly say to every one of us here, because it affects all of us, whether we're on site now, or you're watching me online. It's the same. It's affecting all of us globally. When that happens, let us ask, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? Jesus says we need to gather physically, not just worship alone, if we are to experience His presence in special ways. Yes, we can experience God and Jesus' presence in our, own, in, our, in our bedroom, on our own, on our sofa, in our house and so on. On our own, yes, there is. But there is a corporate dimension of experiencing His presence. Somebody say amen. Which we can only get do when we gather together. He said these words, for where two or three are gathered together physically, 
in my name. I am in the midst of them. You, you mean if you're single, he's not in, in, with you? No, he is. But there's a special sense in which he's with you in the special, fuller, more enriching way when you're gathered together. Hebrews 10 verse 25 tells us, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Somebody say together. Yeah. As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that his return is drawing near. Don't forget and don't neglect our meeting together. Together. It's physical. It's physical. But encourage one another. So when we do that, some things happen to our lives. You know, on our own, we may feel the glow of the Spirit of God within us. There's a bit of fire within us. We're like an ember, you know, a hot coal, for example. We're like that. But you know what? We can exist on our own, but only for a while. Eventually, it just flames out. Not even flame, but it just cools down. And it just grows cold. But when we come together, even though you may not be fully hot for Jesus, you've got some heat within you like an ember, like a hot coal. When we come together, you know, we can have a bonfire when somebody, when the Spirit of God fans the flames. Yeah, somebody say amen. We can be a bonfire. And you know, the whole, the whole thing just conflagrates and takes off. But you know, on our own, we are just little pieces of coal. Burning coal, but little pieces of coal. It's easy to flame out. It's easy to grow cold, but together, something happens. That's why the physical, physical gathering together is so important. Somebody said amen to that. Can I hear you? Amen, amen, and amen. Here's the third thing. Not only is Sunday relative, not only has online become relative, but community is now relative. Community is now relative. You see, the the relativization of Sundays and the relativization of online now brings about a rootlessness where we relativize community. It's no longer that important to us. Now, evolving is a genre of believers who do this. They float between online services. And they float between online services in, in this way. They may float between, you know, multiple devices, they may float between switching channels as the service goes on, which is very different from when you're on site. When you're on site, you're committed. Whether the speaker is boring, the speaker is exciting, you're committed. When you get worship, whether it's the songs that you like or the songs you don't like, you're committed. Whether you're sitting next to somebody whom you like or you don't like or you know or you don't know, you're committed. Somebody say amen. There's something that God does for us that you can never get just by doing all this on your own. So we, these are a genre of believers who float between online services, either multiple devices or switching channels, or they watch a service midweek, you know, uh, try to catch up, and then they just like half 15 minutes, they're like, no, it's not very interesting. And then they switch and watch another church service from somewhere else, another sermon. So we have a whole load, whole generation of floaters who have become unrooted, especially in the last two and a half years. They've enjoyed the option of online engagement. They've enjoyed, you know, watching wonderful services, wonderful servants. They have not backslided. They have grown. But now when the church is open, they now feel, you know what? I can float so many places if I sit at my table or at my desk or on my sofa, in my pajamas. I can float so many places rather than just get connected here in just one church. What has happened is that as the tide of the pandemic has come in, and although we may be rooted initially in the church, suddenly that tide, that warm flow of water, that currents eventually just loosen our roots and we float like a plant. We pop out like a plant and we float. We still got roots, but they're not anchored anymore. We become unrooted. We're no longer... So why... What happens then to us? We no longer fully experience community connectivity, family, servanthood, vision ownership. We don't have that sense of link anymore. We don't sense we're in a family. We're in this for ourselves. We don't have a sense of corporate vision. What is God using this church to do in the city and say in the city and impact in the city? No more. It's just like, you know what? I'm, you know, I can hear what is being said, but you know, uh, yeah, it, this is my church, but I'm not rooted. There's no stakeholding ownership. No sense of servanthood, no serving. You know what? I'm just, I'm just doing myself by watching 
and I'm just watering my plants. In the meantime, feeding my cats. But there's no servanthood. Somewhere along the line, they have missed out on what it becomes for the New Testament church. Okay? And I say this lovingly for all of us here. This is a mindset shift that's happening post-pandemic. Many pastors recognize this mindset. They're probably not at this point articulating it in the way I'm saying it. But I have observed this and I'm actually convinced this is what's happening to the church today. And the church is now root, uprooted or no longer anchored in what a New Testament church, a New Testament believer should be. What is the church? The word ecclesia, which is the Greek for church in the New Testament, means a called out people. Ecclesia is called out. It's a called out people who gather physically in assembly to show they are called out of the world. They are called out together so that the world sees that there's a group of people here who are different, who are called out because they believe in something. They have a common identity. They have a common passion. They have a common vision. They know and they, they, they carry a certain DNA. These are the called out people. There's no way you can have a called out people who all of us are sitting online back home and we are called out people. It just doesn't happen. Can't happen. To get this whole picture of what the church is meant to be, let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, because that will tell us in the New Testament, from the day zero, at ground zero, what the church is called out to be. Let's read it together. Are you ready to read it loud? Somebody say it loud. loud. And those of you who are watching it online, speak, speak it loud and read it loud together with me. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2. Let's go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And many wondrous signs were being done. And they were selling the possession and distributing the proceeds to any who had need. Louder, guys. And day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You read all those things in yellow, and you, which are highlighted, and you will get an idea of what the church is called out as a people or an assembly to be. Firstly, they are called out to be a learning and praying assembly. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. The church is meant to be a learning and praying assembly. It's meant to be a miracle happening assembly. And signs and wonders broke out amongst them. It's meant to be a loving and serving assembly. And they sold the possessions and distributed to any who had need. It's meant to be a worshipping and praising assembly. And they had praising God, you know, daily. And they had favour with the people. It's meant to be an evangelising assembly. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So the church is meant to be all of this. How can the church be any of this if it just meets online? Because the world will never see it. The, devil never, the world will never know it. The world will never know it exists. The world will never know there is a, a group of people who reflect what Christ is like. The world will never know. However imperfect the church is, it needs to gather because it reflects what Jesus is like, the heart of God is like. Can somebody say amen to us? That's very soft. Now we're getting hard, hard stuff. Can somebody say the amen to me? It's just like this. You see, the church may be imperfect, but you know, it's just like when you go out at night, sometimes you see a moon. <gasps> you see a full moon. Oh, it's a full moon. It's a beautiful full moon, especially it's one of those when the moon's very close to earth. It's so big and huge. But sometimes you just see a crescent of a moon, a slither of a moon. What do you say? Most of us will say this. Hey, that's the moon. We will say, that's the moon. We don't say, hey, that's a crescent or a slither of a moon. That's the moon. However imperfect that slither is, it reflects the moon. However imperfect the church is, it reflects Jesus and His heart for the world. Can somebody say amen? And there's no way they can know it online. Just that on, on its own. It's a very, very diffuse group. That's why the gathering must be physical. 
See, the church has never ceased to miss physically. So let's go back to church history. How has the church behaved in these last 2,000 years? Because then we will know what it's meant to be. Was it true to its original identity? The church has never ceased to meet physically in all of its 2,000 years in history until the digital challenge today. Until today. Now it's beginning to think, hmm, can we meet just physically and forget about can you just meet digitally and forget about physically? Now, it's only now the church begins to think like that. Let me give you why the church cannot be just an online entity. Here's the reason. If you look at church history in 2,000 years, even in times of persecution, they did not just communicate by secret handwritten notes or anonymous Bible verses. You know in times of persecution, you meet together, you pay with your life. You want to know how, how bad this is? You go right to the catacombs. Go to visit Rome. They'll take you to the catacombs. These are underground little passages or little underground um, spaces where the early Christians met so that they could sing and worship to God. But those who were caught were thrown to the lions. They were burned at the stakes and, and, you know, and, and inflamed for barbecue to, for, the, for the emperor. It, they, it, it cost them everything. But the early church didn't say, you know what? It's so dangerous to meet. Let's just communicate, you know? Because they didn't have technology like, you know, Zoom and all that those days. So let's communicate by verbal written, by written notes, you know, anonymous Bible verses. Let's encourage one another because it's too dangerous to meet. 2,000 years, whether it's dangerous and they pay with their life, the church met. Whether it's in North Korea, whether it's in the jungles or in the woods, whether it's some clandestine meeting, a small house, or some underground, or in a cave somewhere, they met. Of course, they can't meet openly. Of course, they can't meet as regularly as we like them to every week. But they met. Because that's what the church is. And that's why when people ask me, will the digital or virtual church ever replace the physical church? My answer is both it will not and it should not. Yeah. It should not for the reasons I've given you. Why it should not. Church history and the biblical foundations of what a church is tells us it should not ever become just totally virtual or online. Should not become just digital or, or just virtual. And secondly, it will not simply because God created us, each one of us, in a, uniquely He knows. Every one of us was created together gregariously for fellowship, for family, for community. Somebody say Amen. Are you with me, guys? For fellowship, we need touch. We need hugs. We need kisses. We need affirmations. We need people looking to our eyes and, and, and crying with us and some people affirming us. We need people who just laugh with. You're not going to get it online. Emojis won't do it. We need real life people. You know, when Pastor Nancy and I were, were away, in, you know, just recently in Australia, we, we went into virtual reality. We, we, tr we went to virtual reality. We, we experimented and had fun in virtual reality. It was wonderful, you know, like walking on a virtual reality plank, you know, 20 stories up in the air and you're walking out. It felt so real when you had this, these lenses on. Then you jump off it, it's the ground. Although you had a sensation of falling, it's, it's the ground. It's the thing about it. Virtual reality will always shortchange you. Always. You can feel it's real. You're in a, a metaverse, virtual reality of the church. You see people coming in. Even people whom you know in the coming days. There were holographic pictures of people you know. And they'll relate to you in a seeming real way. But the moment you take off those glances, reality hits you. Virtual reality or digital reality will never replace physical reality. And we have already seen it during the pandemic. How do I know? Because in the pandemic, we have Zoom fatigue. We have online fatigue. We've had enough. When it first started, it was fine. Everybody's excited. But when we came towards the end of the pandemic, we had enough. Nobody wants to go into anything online anymore. You are right or not? True or not? That's why it will never replace the real church. So these are the three reasons why I feel that we need to come back, you know, to church. Let me give you an encouragement, an appeal, and a call. And I give this to all of us lovingly. Somebody say lovingly. 
and I mean it with all my heart as your pastor lovingly, wherever you are, okay? I say this, if you're amongst those who have gradually relativized Sundays online or the community, I want to encourage you to return to on-site physical services as soon as possible, okay? If you are those. Now, this is not to say you can't follow us on YouTube, on, you know, on, online. By all means, use it as a supplement. Those of you in other cities or in other countries and you're watching us, continue to follow us. It's fine. It's great to have you, you know, as our, our, our virtual members, you know, as, as our online members. It's so good to have you as part and parcel of our online family. We love you. Please continue and do that. But don't use it to substitute for on-site. Get back to answer unless you're in a situation where that cannot happen. And there may be one or two good reasons why that cannot, be, cannot happen. It may well be that, you know, at this point in time, physically, there are challenges for you because you're physically unwell. That's fine. That's not a problem. Or you are in, in the midst of, you know, some, some really challenging situations in, in life and there, there's, there's too much at this point in time for you to actually, you can't bring yourself physically to church. Because either there's no transport, logistics problem, family problems, other things. No problem. It's fine. I'm just talking about the norm here. We love you. It's fine. When it's time for you to come back, come back. But to everyone else, I want to make an encouragement, an appeal, and a call. If you're among those who have gradually re uh, relativized Sundays or online or community, I want to encourage you, return to physical services as soon as you can. Can somebody say it? amen with me on that? Okay, and I want you to cheer and give them a big shout to welcome the back. All those who are watching online, come on, let's give them a big cheer. Hallelujah. We want you to know, we want you to know we love you and you're, you're part and parcel of this family. Look forward to seeing you back online. Why is that important? Because right now what's happening is that this whole mindset is not quite set yet, it's evolving. It's begun to evolve during the pandemic and now after the pandemic has lifted. It's not quite set but I believe in the next six months or so, eventually it will set. And once it sets, it's very hard to come back to physical service online because you've optionalized uh, a menu in, in, in following Jesus where you follow Jesus and you're prepared to follow Jesus because you've enjoyed it so much during the pandemic on your own, to following Jesus on your own terms, in your own time, in your own boundaries, in your own comfort. and with your own dictates. I will tell you this. When you compare to what the New Testament says about the church and believers, you know that is not part and parcel of the kingdom definition of the church or a believer. You cannot follow Jesus like this. It must be on His terms, His, his parameters, His dictates, His call. Can somebody say an amen to that? And so this mindset is now shifting, it's evolving, it's in a fluid state. But in six months or so, or four months or so from now, when it begins to set, it'll be very hard. We will have a mindset where everything is optional. So I want to say this to each and every one of you who's both watching me on site as well as online listening to this. Come back. And if you know anyone, your connect group leader, or you are a leader and you know anyone, who is your connect group member who is MIA, missing in action or not been back and unrooted in church for so many, you know, last couple of years or few, one or two years? Bring them back. Not because pastor says so. Not because the church needs numbers. Not because you need to pack out the church to make it look good. Not because somebody like a pastor or anyone wants you to serve in church. Nothing of that nature. Come back because it is an existential necessity spiritually. Because once you float and you evolve into a certain fixed mindset, then everything becomes optional. Following Jesus in the way He wants is no longer something that's into your car, but it's optional. On your own terms, in your own time, in your own way, with your own boundaries, under your own dictates, in your own parameters. And that would be a travesty of the New Testament definition of the church and the believers. Can somebody say an amen to that? So every one of you who knows, family members, friends, who are not being charged, call them back. Drive them back in, in your car. Bring them back in your car. You know, if they need to, pick them up. Encourage them. Tell them they are loved and they're greatly missed. We love you. We greatly miss you. 
I will encourage you to come back on site. I've said what I need to say about the church and what the mindset changes. What about the workplace? There are three major mindset changes I discern in the workplace. Firstly, positions or jobs are now very fluid. What do I mean by that? Well, now, what is happening is that we find that there's an emergence of a workforce that has no organization loyalty, no loyalty to any company or organization. Unlike us in the boomer days, you work for Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank, you die working for HSBC. <laughs> no longer. No organizational loyalty. Secondly, no job permanence. Switching is the norm. Switching jobs now is the norm. Why has that become the, the, the kind of the workplace, workplace norm that positions are now so fluid? And that's because a new generation has come into the workforce. The largest workforce today are no longer the boomers, no longer the Gen Xers. Until 10 years ago, about 8 years ago, it was the boomers. We were still calling the shots in the workplace, no more. The largest workforce today are the millennials and the Gen Xers. They constitute 57% of the workforce, and by the year 2030, 75% of the workforce. They are calling the shots in the culture. Now, whatever has been changing before the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, has been made even starker. It's become even more acute that there's no organisation loyalty and no job permanence, and switching now becomes the norm. Why? You know, people switch for better pay, Increasingly now, people are switching for better pay, for better career prospects, because of mental health challenges, because of burnout, because of non-alignment of the company with their vision or with their values. You know, and in a sense, companies are looking after themselves only and their profits and the bottom line, not looking after the staff. They leave. And they leave. Why are they so switchy in their jobs and no longer loyal? The pandemic made it worse. They were already doing that before the pandemic. When the pandemic came, Many of the people in the young force found they had an instant expiry date on their work. They were laid off. The moment they are laid off, you know, they now confirm in their minds, it's no point being loyal to your organization. You don't trust people who employ you. You switch and you can look after yourself. And this has led to the great resignation. In the last two years, 11.4 million people in the United States have resigned and mostly from their jobs, and mostly they are Gen Xers and Millennials. Some people call this the rate recalibration, the rate reimagination, the, the great shuffle or whatever, um, but the great resignation. And pandemic, pandemic has made job fluidity a permanent landscape. That's the first thing that's happening. So there's a fluidity in positions. Secondly, the big change in the workplace is the present is now digital. Before this, if I was a boomer, I always felt, you know what? Yeah, I know the internet is a good thing. I know digital is good. And that, you know, but I will learn about the digital world in my own time, on my own terms, in my own way. You know, yeah, we got to, everyone's got to learn sooner or later. Yeah, I will need it for my company. But suddenly, the pandemic brought the digital world crashing into us, into the present, so that the present became digital. And now, those of us who never knew any of this software before suddenly find that we have to upskill ourselves to learn, sometimes at home because we're locked down and we have to connect with the rest of the world or you know, with others or with our company in order to survive, or clients or customers in order to survive. Suddenly, we had to upskill and learn Zoom. Actually, before this, most of us never heard of Zoom. No, we have to learn about Google Meet. We have to learn you know, uh, Microsoft Teams. We had to learn Zoho. We had to learn Skype. Now I will tell you, after the pandemic, most of us are at least skilled in one, if not more, of these software. Somebody say amen. If you are not, then there are two only possible explanations. Number one, you are old and you're on your way out in terms of retirement from the workplace. Or number two, your company is not going to flourish or you're going to find finding a job very difficult if you don't. The digital has crashed into the present, and the present has become digital. Positions are now fluid. Present is now digital. Before the pandemic, digital was an optional means for saving money, 
Saving time, reducing spending. So if you're a boomer and you own a company, do you want digital? Well, you know, it was, it, if you can show me really it saves time, saves money and reduce spending, I would think about it. After the pandemic, no more. It has become essential for business survival, for thriving, for creating new opportunities. If you don't have it and you don't into it, goodbye. It's the same for the church. If the church does not tap into the digital, it's goodbye. Well, I mean, I'm not saying goodbye in the sense that it will not cease to exist, but it will cease to be less and less relevant and engaging to the changing world around us. It will be a real change. That's why in Skyline, we, we've had to respond to this in the last two years. I have never seen the church, and I'm pastoring for church for 21 years, I've never seen the church pivot and change as much as I've seen it in the last two and a half, three years. It's been incredible. It's almost beyond recognition what has happened. The third thing that's happened in the workplace is this. Besides positions being fluid and the present being digital, people are now paramount. The pandemic exposed one thing. There was a huge underlying mental health issues in the workforce. It happened before the pandemic, but the pandemic, when the lockdown came, people were isolated, people there, fear, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, all kinds of things came in, mental issues were exposed. And it's across the generations. It's not just a younger generation. I was talking to my good friend who's a clinical psychologist in the street just a few days ago. Uh, and I, I said to him, Graham, what kind of patients do you, are you seeing? He says, I said, what's happened since the pandemic? Oh, since the pandemic, clinical psychologist, he says, you know, my, my clientele, the number of people I see, you know, has just skyrocketed and it's, it's gone beyond the roof. It's, you know, it's, it's just gone beyond the roof. It's, it's absolutely, I just don't have time now. I said, what kind of people come to see you? Is it young people? No. He says, right across the generations. The pandemic exposed a mental health issues. And when these mental health issues were, were exposed, the companies could not lean over backwards or pivot fast enough to cope with this because it's quite new to them. Or at least if it was not new to them, they were not doing very much about it beforehand. And so, you know, you had more and more people with mental health issues during the pandemic and, and, and there was no satisfaction within companies in the workforce to cope with it. So what happened is the big resignation took place. People just resigned. You know, at the end of the day, I better look after myself because companies don't look after me, organizations don't look after me. I better look after myself. Resign! Find some space for myself. Sort out myself mentally. That's what's happening. Secondly, there's a need for flexibility at work. Flexibility means when the pandemic came, people worked from home. And when they started working from home, they found that, oh my goodness, the problems they thought they had left behind. Because when you go to work, you have to switch off your family and all the, all the other problems. Suddenly in your home, you suddenly see your kids' problems, your family problems, your marriage problems, your health problems, emotional problems, your financial problems. Everything comes together. And you don't have space before. You realize that last time when you were working, there was no space to sort out these problems. They just accumulated, you know, you just solved them down in bits, uh, bits and pieces. Now, when you're working from home, you suddenly realize, I need flexibility. Boss, give me time so I can be flexible to sort these challenges out. The pandemic exposed the need for flexibility at work. And thirdly, the pandemic exposed the critical need for skilled staff. Suddenly, skilled staff, especially tech staff, became in short supply. Why? Because of the big resignation. Because people like switching jobs. People look after themselves first. And so, better look after your staff. Well, otherwise, you're going to be short staff. So, the pandemic exposed all this. People became paramount. And how has all this changed? Well, just in case you have problems to understand this, like me, I'm a boomer. Let me just tell you from a boomer mindset, huh? just this is for boomers only. Those of you who are millennials, you know, you can, you can, you can switch off just for this one minute. You know, boomers, you need to hear this. Why is the workforce changing like that? Why are the values and the mindsets changing? Because the millennials and the Gen Zers are the largest in the workforce today. So what's the difference between us and them? Well, boomers, we work in jobs for life. As I said, we never change our jobs one. Yeah. For the reasons I've spoken, millennials and Gen Zers switch many jobs in their lives. I'll just tell you this, 70% of millennials have switched at least one job by the time they're 30. 21% of millennials have switched jobs in the last one year. And by the time the millennials die, they finish their working life, they would have switched jobs. Somebody calculated. I don't know. Don't ask me how they calculate this. 
every millennial, they say, is going to change jobs at least 12 times in their lifetime. Can you understand this, Boomer? It's a totally foreign world to us. We don't understand this. You know, if somebody works at HSBC, if they don't die in HSBC, they die in OCBC. You know, that's it. That's as much as it will go. Okay. Boomers, we measure productivity in number of hours. The more hard work, the more hours we put in, the more productive. We think. Millennials are not like that. They measure, they measure usefulness in efficiency, the speed of the work done, and the amount of the work done. Boomers, we are prepared to make personal sacrifice. The boss says, work an extra two hours. We'll work for the good of the company, for promotion, you know, for everything, for my boss. But millennials know. They expect work-life balance. You want me to do the extra two hours? You either pay for it through your nose for those two hours, or I'm saying no. And you say, well, in that case, I have to think about your, 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 whether you can be part of this company. I resign now. That's what they do. We're not used to this culture. It's changed, buddy. Let's get used to it. Third thing, fourth thing is, boomers, they play safe first. They play safe. Take risk, but millennials, they take risk early. Boomers will, you know, once they've got a piece of work, wow, they play safe. They never change. But millennials, wow, this work is not satisfying. It's got no career value. Ah, that's good change. Boomers, we want security. We want security because this job, even if it's not very well paying, in three years' time, it will pay for my car. In seven years' time, it will pay for down payment for my house. Keep it secure. Don't change because I may not get another job. No, for millennials. They value not just security. They want variety. And sometimes they change jobs with a lower pay because the first job will higher pay. Very boring. <laughs> now, how does a boomer understand that? We don't. So sometimes, uh, we, we're boomers, we can't understand. It. It's changed. We just, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It just is. So we get used to it. If you want to counsel millennials and talk to them, we have to understand. And you know, I have two millennials amongst my three children. I have two millennials. You know, one has changed jobs at least twice. Another has changed jobs at least three times. He's there. I see it. I'm like, why are you changing jobs? You don't look at daddy. Never change one. See, <laughs> So, with this workforce, positions are now fluid, the present is now digital, and people are now paramount. As I close, can I have the worship team? Oh. Do we have a message for the workforce out there today? Well, the workforce out there today is deeply searching for meaning in their work, for purpose in their lives, for peace in their hearts, and for positivity in their minds. They're searching for all these things. So what can we do? How does the kingdom of God invade the workplace. And Pastor Josh was talking about bringing the kingdom of God into the workplace. Pastor Rich talking about integrating the spiritual and the secular in your lives in the workplace. Dr. Ken was talking about how to bring the gospel in the workplace. How does the kingdom of God invade the workplace where their mindsets change like this? Remember, they're searching for purpose. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for positivity and peace and stability. Firstly, my friends, every one of us in the workplace we must display integrity and excellence in our work. Somebody say amen. amen. Colossians 3 verse 17, whatever you do in work or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do everything as though you were serving Jesus, giving thanks to God. Why is integrity and excellence so important? Because it is the language of the workplace that will give you a platform. If you do shoddy work, bad attitude, you're cursing and swearing, foul language, you will never have any influence in the workplace. But if because of what Jesus has done in your life, you're working unto Him, you display excellence and integrity in your work. I'm not saying you have to be the best in your workplace. You can be and you should be. You try to be. But even if you're not the best, be the best that you can be. Somebody say amen. Just what it means, excellence. Be the best that you can be. Have integrity. And you will gain a platform and a voice. And with that platform and voice, you can reach out in love and kindness. And this is what God tells us to do, to love people all around us. You don't have to like people because there are people in the workplace who are toxic, who are very anti-you, who really want to you rub your nose in, in the dirt and all that. You don't have to like them. You don't have to trust them. But you have to love them. Somebody say, Amen. 
That's the first, second commandment. We have to love. Somebody say love. And amongst those, all the people in our workplace, all kinds of people, God will call us to reach out to one, two, or three, or four. He will tell us with love and kindness, special love and kindness. Remember their birthdays. Remember to take them out for a meal. Remember to give them a small note or a gift on a special day. Remember to just visit their parents when their parents are hospital. Because they just, God just tell you to do it. You do it. And this is what happens. Luke 6 verse 35. Love your enemies, do good, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you become sons of the Most High. So you reach out in love and kindness. And then the door opens for the kingdom of God to invade your workplace and those at work with you there. Now the third thing becomes, you do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. So because you bring God to work, you know, Pastor Josh already told you, when you leave your house on a Monday morning, don't leave God behind. 87% of Christians leave God behind on a Monday morning. Think about that. Bring God to work. The whole the idea of you, God touching your heart now and blessing you, inspiring you now and speaking to you now is so not so that you may have goosebumps on a Sunday it's so that you get tutored inspired equipped encouraged empowered on a Monday morning to bring the kingdom of God into work and somebody say Amen and when you bring the kingdom of God to work you have integrity and excellence and you show kindness and love do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you whatever He tells you just do it may be deepening a friendship, praying for the needs of these who are your friends who are closer to you, believing for miracles in the workplace, for them, believing for them. They may not believe. I'm introducing them to Jesus when the time is right. And this is what God says, Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power, somebody say power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, somebody say witnesses, to the end of the earth. That's what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And when we do that, we will understand that the Spirit of God has called us to partner with Him at work. The workplace is changing. And so, those of us who are older, you need to understand where the DNA and the shift, the mindset is shifting. Those of us who are in the younger mindsets, we know how it's shifting because we are part of that shift. You must understand that in that shift, there are needs. People need meaning, purpose in life positivity in their mind, stability and peace in their hearts. Same old thing. And we need to bring the kingdom of God there. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now as we close. You know, today I've been speaking about God's love for you and He's relevant. He's relevant here in church as He's irrelevant in the workplace. He's not a God that's only real in church on a Sunday. Oh, give you great goosebumps, you will enjoy His presence, but Monday to Friday is irrelevant. God has everything to say about your work because your work is your worship to God. Somebody say, Amen. Right now, some of you may say to me, but pastor, I don't know this God. You can know Him through Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and mine. And today, He can come into your heart, turn your life around, give you that peace that you've been seeking, give you that stability, give you that joy in your heart that you've been longing for, give you that purpose and the meaning in the life you know, not just in work, for the whole of life that you've been looking for. Why? Because He died on the cross for your sins and mine, took away your sins. And today, if you say, Pastor Philip, you've never given your heart to Jesus, but today you say, Pastor Philip, I want you, can you pray for me? I want to give my heart to Jesus. Then at a count of three, can you just lift up your hand? Okay? All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Nobody looks now, right now, because it's a very serious moment. There are people here who just have not given their hearts to Jesus, but today, God has spoken to you. So at the count of three, you say, Pastor Philip, I want you to pray for me. I want to receive Jesus into my heart. I want to receive His joy and His peace. I want to have that stability. I want to have that purpose and that meaning. Only He can give. And I want to have forgiveness of my sins. Then, at the count of three, just lift up your hand. Are you ready now? Wherever you are, to my right, left, front, or back. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Nobody looks. Just lift up your hand at the count of three. One, two, three. Lift up your hand. I see a hand right at the back there. I see a hand right here in the front. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you. Just keep your hands lifted up right now. Thank you. I see his hand at the back, sir. Could you lift up your hand right at the back there as well? And hand out here in the front. Thank you, thank you. I see a hand by the side as well. Okay, madam, thank you so much. Okay, there was a hand right at the back there. Okay, on the side. 
um, the gentleman, I think, was in red. If that was you, can you just lift up your hand one more time? And his hand right here in the front. God bless you. Praise God. For the Spirit of God is moving, touching lives. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. God bless you, sir, in the front. God bless you, ma'am, you know, on the back. Anyone else? There's one other gentleman at the back there. Anyone else? I want to wait just for a couple of seconds more. If you want to receive Jesus and you're not done about today, just lift up your hand at the count of three. One, two, three. Just lift it up. You've not lifted it up before. So I'm going to ask all those who have lifted up their hands. Ushers, I want you to take note of them. Yeah, all those who have lifted their hands. And sir, right here in the front as well. Here, right here in the front. Yes. Can you lift up your hand, sir? Ushers, just one. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask the whole of the church to pray this prayer of me to ask Jesus into your lives right now. And if you lifted up your hand just now, will you pray this prayer in your heart with me? Are you ready? If you're watching on home, at home, online, pray this prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. And He will come in today. Are you ready now? Just pray with me now. Say, Father God, thank you for Jesus that He died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that He gave me new life. Today, I open my heart to you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my heart. With my mouth, I confess you are Lord. With my heart, I believe you rose from the dead. And from this day onwards, I'm born again into a new life and into God's family. I give you praise and I give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big shout. A big shout out for all that He's done in our lives. People have come to know the Lord today. And today, we just want to give you a bag of resources just to help you to start your new life in Christ. This is your family. This is your home. Be with us. Join us. Whether on site, online, right now, join us and grow in the Lord. Join a connect group. And those of you who came with a friend, let that friend continue to lead you to his or her connect group and be part and parcel of this family. There's some people who will give you some resources. Please fill in the items and resources and we will be in touch with you. How many of you, the rest of you, how many of you want to bring the kingdom of God into your workplace? Can I see your hands? Lift it in the air. Come on, lift it in the air. If that's you, stand up on your feet right now, wherever you are, both at home and on site. I'm going to pray for you as we close our service today. God is just doing amazing things in the midst of changing mindsets, both in the church and in the workplace. You are a channel. Everybody say after me, I'm a channel of God's grace and of life. Say it aloud. Of God's grace and of life. And I will be bringing the good news to all my friends, wherever they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherever you are right now, I just want to say this. If you have friends, relatives, people in your connect group who have gone missing because they're floating around, bring them back. Encourage them with love, with gentleness, you know, with encouragement, but bring them back. Pick them up, bring them back. They belong to this great family called Skyline. And I want to encourage you to do that as part of the In the workplace, wherever you go, bring them to the kingdom of God. Bring them to know Jesus' love. Introduce them to Jesus. If that's a channel that you want to become, you are a lifesaver. In that sense, every one of us is a lifesaver. Lift up your hands right now as I close in prayer because I want to pray for a fresh impartation of God's grace upon your life. Father God, thank you so much for each and every one here. Thank you for the life that you've spoken to us. Thank you for the life that lives in us through the blood of Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you that we belong to you. We belong to this great, wonderful family called the church. And Lord, you have built your church and you're building your church today and you will continue to build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we thank you that you're strengthening your church. We ask God today, even if our hands are lifted up and our hearts are open, Lord, that you will impart the Holy Spirit afresh into our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I speak life, I speak revival, I speak power, I speak God's love, I speak a fresh impartation, I speak His presence in your life so that wherever you go, 
You will be a bringer of life. You will be a carrier of revival. And Lord, thank you for your promise that revival is coming to our land. Thank you for your promise that revival is coming to this church. The revival is coming to our lives and our families. And we shall see the blind see the lame walk, oh God, and people being healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, our hands are lifted up because you're going to do this in our lives, in our families, in the city, and in the workplace for your glory. And I pray for each and every one here that they will be carriers of your revival into the workplace and into their friends. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name, all God's people said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big shout. Give the Lord a big hand. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to Skyline SIB's podcast and stay tuned for our next episode. If you would like to contribute and support our ministry, please visit our website at www.skynsib.com and scroll down to the giving segment in order to give. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Skyline SIB on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Till next time, have a great day.